خوش آمدید دوستان به یه برنامه جدید پالیتکس 365 با KIRN امروز یکی از مهمانمون یه پروفسور هستش از یونیورسیتی آف اوکلاهوما دکتر فیرات دمیر ایشون یه کارشناس امور اقتصادی و سرات انترنشنال اکنامیکس و خیلی ریسرچ و رپورت بسیار تهیه کردن در مورد اکنامیک سانکشنز مخصوصا اثر تحریم های اقتصادی به اقتصاد ایران من چند وقت پیش ایشونو با از طریق اینترنشنال ایرانین اکنامیک اسوسییشن آشنا شدم یه وبینار داشتم با همکارشون و موضوع اثر تحریم های اقتصادی به اقتصاد ایران مورد بود و ایشون یه پریزنتیشن دارن که خیلی واسه من جالب بود گفتم حتما میخواستم دعوت کنم دکتر رو به این برنامه که باشه داره بیشتر صحبت کنیم بقیه برنامه به انگلیسی تهیه شده پس ما رو ببخشید از اون لحاظ اما پس بریم دنبال برنامه فیرات دمیر ویلکم تو پالیتکس 365 ایس ریلی گریت تو هاوی هیر لکه ای منشن این فارسی منت اگو ای هرد یو سپیک ات ایران این انترنشنل اکنامیک Uh, academic group uh, that speaks about obviously Iranian economic issues all over the world. Really interesting conversations they have once a month, I think. Uh, so when I saw you there, I said, I got to have you here to talk about the impact of sanctions because what's happening, as you are aware, is that there's a great deal of conversation about this tool that American foreign policy at least uses uh, every time they don't like a particular regime and they're trying to affect change. Um, I'm not always convinced as to if how it works uh, given the particular dynamics of a uh, economy uh, and a culture especially if as uh, the Iranian government has said well you know there's always ways around sanctions uh, so they they find uh, it seems like there's a, the elites find a way to not suffer the full consequences and it seems like the middle class and the lower class at least in my non-academic viewpoint uh, suffer more So I'm really interested to have you kind of take us through uh, your your research, what your research shows, so we can provide our audience with an objective analysis of what's really happening with the sanctions, what its impacts are on the Iranian economy. Before we do, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your work at the University of Oklahoma, and we'll go from there. Thank you, Shahriar. Uh, glad to be here. Um, I'm a professor of economics at the University of Oklahoma and also a co-director of the Center for Peace and Development here. I'm also a lead researcher at the Securing Context Network. Uh, my research is overall focused on long-run structural change and economic development, examining various factors that may help or hinder economic development, um, however we measure it in the long run, that includes structural change, industrialization, as well as economic integration among developing countries. So South-South trade and finance is a particular focus in my research. Now, the, the particular research for, for today that, that uh, you mentioned is a joint work with my uh, friend and co-author, uh, Salih Tebrizi from University of Oklahoma, again here. We started working on this topic uh, some years back. And the, the, the question is, uh, we know that sanctions are being used and weaponized. It, against many countries by you know, around the world, including the United States. And there's a very large literature looking at their effectiveness, how effective or ineffective they are in achieving targeted goals, and what are the so-called collateral damage. And if the goals are, you know, if they can justify the means as well as the, the end result. 
um, if what we call in economics the overall net effect or welfare effect of the sanctions is a topic of debate in the literature and there's a growing number of papers looking at both direct and indirect effects of sanctions around the world so the question that we were interested in is um, whether the sanctions imposed are gender biased or not in other words do they affect different groups of people men and women differently and how large those effects especially especially in the employment side so we started looking at the effects of sanctions both economic and non-economic sanctions in the case of iran and their various effects on um, employment in manufacturing industries and we wanted to see whether uh, you would of course expect a negative effect right you would say if the U.S. imposes sanctions on Iran, um, that's going to have negative effects on a variety of economic indicators from investment to growth and so on. Even if Iranian government finds ways of avoiding it, it still imposes a transaction cost as well as an entry and exit barrier. So the effect would be expected to be negative, but it's not very clear whether that effect is homogenous for different genders, for men and women in particular. That's so that, interesting. That's so, so this, I mean, I think we could have assumed, given Iran's kind of male-dominated economy, that women, you're saying, it, it, it may have a different impact or probably more impacted by sanctions than men are. Um, yes, I'm. Is everything in economics? The on the one hand, you may have negative effects, particularly given that it's a male-dominated and significant gender-biased uh, labor market where labor force participation rate of women is significantly behind men, and there are existing societal barriers for women employment and entering the labor force, right? So if you impose sanctions, then you would expect the sanctions to hurt women disproportionately more. On the other hand, there might be some positive effects because um, if it hurts the labor force and uh, hurts men who are more employed or more present in the labor force, it may encourage women to start looking for jobs to supplement male uh, income uh, flow to the household, right? So think of this as a household, either married or unmarried women uh, living with either father, with husband or alone because of shrinking employment opportunities and incomes, it may encourage actually women to seek more employment or enter the labor force. But in the case of sanctions, because it predominantly hurts export sectors, you may expect the negative effects to be more present because uh, in exports, especially in non-oil export sex, uh, um, part of the economy like textile, women have a higher chance of getting employment. But then you have oil industry being very important for Iranian economy and it was hard hit by sanctions. And oil has some different aspects than other sectors. Oil is more capital intensive and therefore it employs fewer people than other sectors to begin with. Secondly, it employs more men than women across different countries also because of its capital intensity, but also because of the type of job, there is a gender bias against women in that sector. So sanctions may actually hurt those type of employment opportunities more than others. Um, but I, there's no question that sanctions impose significant human and social as well as economic and political costs on the countries. And we know that there are several collateral effects or damages imposed by sanctions 
and whether it is justifiable or not is a different question that we don't really get into. But we do know that these costs are not evenly distributed. A good example could be probably the US sanctions on Iraq under Saddam Hussein's regime. Um, sanctions had huge impact on child mortality and also, um, uh, also on women and those with the least privilege. But Saddam Hussein did not seem to be much suffering from any calorie intake problems or, or losing his weight. So we do know that costs are not evenly distributed with the least privileged and most vulnerable segments of the society bearing a larger share of the burden in that country or in that society. Um, and most research on sanctions in the literature are very state-centric, very macro, and they are most, for the most part, gender neutral or gender blind. Now, if you look at the literature on sanctions um, regarding their, their, their various effects, we know that they have significant costs regarding democracy and human rights. Uh, countries under sanctions usually um, incre experience increased violation of human rights and uh, anti-democratic uh, rules. Um, for one thing, they usually, the regimes use sanctions as an excuse to clamp on any opposition or dissent. And we see that in Iran as well with the Iranian protests against the Iranian regimes. And we did see this in many other countries has a negative effect on public health. Life expectancy drops significantly under sanctions. Childhood mortality, maternal mortality, and malnutrition in babies increase significantly as a result of sanctions. Uh, income inequality and poverty also increases. Uh, groups uh, of people or organizations that are better connected find ways of making money and, and creating schemes uh, as opposed to regular average people who don't have access to such tools. Um, and of course, on the economic side, it harms economic growth, it curtails international trade, capital flows, FDI, banking sector faces significant barriers, um, and that you can see also in Iran, but also in Russia, international transactions in dollars or other major currencies get significantly hurt uh, and gets increased scrutiny over what you transfer between countries. It also increases asset market volatility, including exchange rates as well as stock markets. So, so I, I yeah, go ahead. Question. I'm sorry to interact. Uh, two things. Um, did your research look at unilateral sanctions versus multilateral sanctions, like from the UN or other countries, and what the effect of, let's say, US sanctions were? And I'll have a second question after that. Then. So we did not separate the US sanctions from United Nations Security Council sanctions. Um, for one, they have significant overlap. Uh, but what we did is we looked at the sanctions by United States and United States uh, and United Nations Security Council uh, imposed on Iran, and we classified them into three different groups, which are economic sanctions, non-economic sanctions, and nuclear-related resolutions, and we considered them separately. I, the cumulative count of the sanctions are highly correlated, I, over 96% correlation, and uh, you you see the same type of uh, result with the US sanctions versus UNSC. Uh, and one reason is, even if it is not imposed by UNSC, implicitly they're imposed. So I take the, for example, nuclear deal that was signed by United States, European Union and Iran, US is the only part that withdrew from it. But because the US sanctions are binding for any entity that does deal with a country that US has a sanctions on, if that business entity has a business with the US, they are subject to the same rules and regulations. So, for example, Mercedes-Benz is a German company. 
but it does also business in the United States, and therefore U.S. government can sanction Mercedes-Benz if they do deal deals with Iran, which might be legal under German law, but they are illegal under the U.S. law. And so this is, I mean, of course, this is why uh, there's so many secondhand sales, right? Like uh, Mercedes may sell to a dealer in, you know, Turkey, and uh, the the Turkish dealer puts some uh, commission on it, then moves it to Iran. You you subvert the sanctions that way. But uh, one question I have, and when I looked at sanctions on Cuba, uh, I I understood that the biotech industry in Cuba flourished because of the sanctions, because they had to do on their own what they couldn't import. So there was some, by containment, uh, mother, uh, necessity being the mother of an invention, uh, they were able to innovate more because they, they, they couldn't collaborate. It, have you seen that at all? Was that anything subject of research in Iran? That's not what something we looked in this paper, but there's a literature on um, unintended consequences of, of pushing, in a way, forced industrialization push. So many of these countries tried import substitution throughout the 40s and 50s. Iran tried under Shah following the Turkish example after the Turkish industrialization move in 1930s and 40s. Uh, and many other countries, including Russia, Germany, Japan, China, uh, has done the same thing. And when you're under sanctions and you don't have any other way to either produce that or import that product, then it pushes the governments to particular types of industrial policy. Um, in many cases, at least the ones that I see, um, that is highly sector specific, like defense industries get a big push, uh, more than pharmaceuticals, for example. So Iranian unmanned aircrafts, drones, for example, get a big push because of that, right? Uh, or weapon systems and, and military defense industries. Turkish uh, uh, government tried a similar thing after the 1970s um, uh, Cyprus conflict when the US imposed sanctions on Turkey. That meant Turkish government could not import certain supplies and, and defense industries products. Then it pushed them also to develop. Uh, uh, and you are seeing similar things in Russia right now with the, their invasion of Ukraine and the following sanctions imposed on them. And Cuba is also, um, and Iran is facing similar sanctions regarding certain type of high-tech products or technologies from the US side. Right, have you seen any, uh, did your research look at uh, class impacts? Because one thing that's being widely discussed among the Iranian community is that pre-1979, Iran had a robust and growing middle class. And over time, especially with the sanctions and the regime, that middle class has been suffocating. And now you have a much greater lower class, poverty below the poverty line, and then an elite group that is probably associated with the regime that's able to uh, get by with that impact. Did you look at that? No, we are. We, I mean, we we limited this research for gender dimension. So, and 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 in a couple of words, perhaps what we find is. Uh, sanctions imposed on Iran have a significantly negative effect on female employment in manufacturing industries. We don't find a similar effect on male employment. So male employment don't appear to be affected directly by sanctions, but women are significantly hurt by sanctions. And this effect is significantly stronger in industries that are more capital intensive and industries that are more imported input dependent. So if you are working as a woman in an industry, it is reliant on imported inputs from other countries, you are uh, in double jeopardy, you are hurt more. Now, regarding the class dimension, again, our paper doesn't look at it, 
but the economic literature probably suggests a couple of reasons why what you suggested might be happening. One is the obvious brain drain effect. So um, after the Iranian revolution and of, you know, under continuous sanctions, what you see is in any country, best and brightest leaves the country. So that's brain drain. I get, uh, we get quite a few applicants for PhD, for example, from Iran every year. Um, and this is just at OU and it's multiplied with hundreds of other universities in the US and Europe and Asia. Um, and many of this best and brightest that come to their PhD, they do not return. And that's a common issue for any country, not just those under sanctions. But if you are talking about a country that is a, a, an authoritarian regime with significant issues with human rights and so on, and under international sanctions, um, that imposes huge burden on citizens of that country, right? If you have Iranian passport, you cannot get visa easily, you cannot travel, uh, all those of the above. So, and these are the people that would be our middle class, right? Or upper middle class or high class if they stayed in Iran, they would be entrepreneurs, they would be professors, they would be doctors and so on. So that could be one supply side effect from there. People who would be filling that class dimension role are leaving the country. A second one is the immiserization of the existing middle class um, because the government now you know, takes over a significant chunk of the economy. And then you have the semi-private, semi-public enterprises in Iran uh, under state enterprises. And then you have military enterprises also that spill over to non-military dimensions. So the, the Iranian military owns not just defense industries, but non-defense industries as well. And employment opportunities in those places probably will be limited or prioritized for pro-regime people. Right. So if you're a private businessman or business person or entrepreneur, or professional, and you are not affiliated with the government or the regime, you don't have many chances, do you? Right. Uh, one last question, and you may, I know this won't be a topic of your uh, research, but I'm very curious. Um, uh, do you have, in your studies, in your work, have you seen sanctions, US unilateral or multilateral sanctions, uh, reach their intended effect that they? led to behavior change or regime change. And again, it may not, I'm not trying to defend sanctions one way or another, I'm just trying to understand, is this US foreign policy tool working to its intended end? I think that that's an excellent question and a billion dollar question or more than a billion dollar right. question. It depends on how the goals are defined. Are they publicly announced goals? So should we take at face value the intended goals, those that are stated in the public releases by the governments, or there are other intended but undisclosed goals or targets? Um, so if the goal is to you know, encourage a, a, a strategy or policy change in the target country, um, now who, how are we planning to achieve that? Are we planning to achieve that by building pressure on the society and the, the wider public to push their governments to a behavioral change? Uh, and if that is the case, then are we helping or hurting the opposition figures by doing this in those countries? So in the case of Iran, if the goal is to force Iranian governments to change their policy targets regarding, let's say, their nuclear policy program or human rights, democracy, and, and, uh, and make it more democratic, then are we empowering the opposition groups by imposing sanctions? 
because if the goal is to push domestic, encourage domestic opposition and empower them through sanctions, because citizens will not be happy by sanctions, they cannot travel, they cannot buy goods and services they want to buy, um, and therefore they will be able to push their governments for a regime change. Yeah, but if that is not a democratic regime to begin with, uh, it's not clear to me how we are going to achieve that goal, other than causing more misery. Um, if we are targeting certain government officials or top uh, persons or people or politicians in those countries uh, by putting travel restrictions like we put on, on Russian president, we cannot travel internationally. Um, the question is, does it really harm them that much to change their behavior or not? Um, I mean, we have we, discussions or smart sanctions, targeted sanctions, arguably more effective, but there's really not much evidence that they achieve any of their intended goals. But again, maybe they are the announced intended goals. Maybe they are unannounced intended goals. Maybe those are achieved, but that we cannot say. Right. No, it sounds like a, hopefully another topic for another conversation and more research because that's really, I think, the hope of the diaspora and really anyone, anytime U.S. imposes sanctions, they're hoping for behavioral change, whether it's announced or unannounced, but there's no real measure that uh, it's working um, to the extent. And certainly after 44 years, I can tell you as, as one non-academic observer, uh, it's not helping change the behavior of Iran. If anything, looking at the Gaza and, uh, and what's happening in Israel, it seems to have emboldened them to uh, tinker with uh, regional security issues more than before. Uh, we have time for one last comment, uh, Firat. If you want to give us what, your final thoughts, sure. that'd be great. I'm, I think it's easier to change behavior of your friends than your enemies or, or entities that you have a stake with. So China has trillions of dollars of investments in the U.S. and vice versa. So they are much more likely to influence each other's behavior than entities like Iran or Cuba, where neither side have any claim or stake to change the behavior. Um, my personal best advice is or recommendation is to you know, give 10,000 scholarships to students from Iran to come here. Yeah, uh, I like the it. The conditions like that it. they will go back, that's a much more effective and cost-effective way of changing behavior in Iran and vice versa, because once you come here, you change, but you change the other side as well. Right. I like it. No, you're 100% right. Thank you so much, Dr. Firat Demir, for joining us. Wonderful conversation. I hope we can come back, especially if this research continues. It's not going to end. There's going to be more to discuss and more to learn from. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Shafiar. Glad to be here. Thank you.